We have the day of Pentecost coming up, and certainly we're thinking about that. We're, we're beginning to meditate on some of those things and making the connections between the, the days of unleavened bread and Pentecost when God gives us his Holy Spirit or when he uh, commemorating the giving of the Holy Spirit, pouring out the Holy Spirit on the church. Thinking about God's Holy Spirit working in our life. Thinking about the fruits of God's Holy Spirit working in our life. We can turn to 2 Timothy to start. 2 Timothy. We think about some of the things Mr. Wakefield was talking about. War and Satan being... You know, the God of this world, Satan being filled with hate. And that whole way, that, that is the, the natural human mind, really, is bent in that direction, leading ultimately to war, as he talked about. We see something different regarding God's mind and re- regarding God's Holy Spirit. Verse 6, 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the spirit of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind. Not an unstable mind. Not a troubled mind. And not a mind that's just void of God's spirit that struggles and doesn't know the answers sometimes. There's many people out in the world that maybe they're not wholly evil, but just the carnal, normal, natural human mind without the spirit of God really can't bear the fruits of the spirit that come from God's Holy Spirit. Really, in this sermon today, I'd like to briefly survey the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5. So first, we'll examine each of the fruits of the Spirit. There are nine of them, so we'll spend just a little bit of time on each of them, just to expound a little bit. And then we'll identify at least one factor as we go through each of the fruits. We'll identify one factor that that fruit is a result of. The the fruits are a result of something. They're not necessarily something we can kind of drum up ourselves. So the title of the split sermon today is A Survey of the Fruits of the Spirit. A Survey of the Fruits of the Spirit. So first, we'll just start with, really, what does it mean to bear fruit? I remember it was many, many years ago and, and you know, kind of thinking about life. And, and one of my friends asked, you know, what does it mean to, to bear fruit? So we'll kind of look at that right now. Merriam-Webster, uh, just thinking about fruit and what does that mean? The effect or consequence of an action. In this context, for sure, you know, uh, not, not something you pick off of a tree. It's a product, a result of an action. To bear fruit means to yield positive results. 
In the case of Christians, bearing fruit is the result of changing our life from our old man, our old way, repenting, bearing fruits of repentance, and having God live in us through Jesus Christ and bearing the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, letting Christ live in us and through us. So they're not just something, again, like I mentioned, that we can drum up. We can't, we can't look at the fruits of the Spirit that we'll, we'll go there in just a little bit in Galatians 5 and say, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be kinder. We can't just do it ourselves. Rather, they're a result of obedience to God's law and His way of life. The result of that, we can certainly ask God to help us grow in one or more of those uh, the, the fruits, for sure. I want to read an LCN article by Mr. John O'Gwen. How much fruit are you bearing is the title of the article. He writes, you and I cannot generate spiritual fruit by our own power. We cannot will ourselves to have more faith or more godly love. These are the fruit of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. God is the one who yields the increase. He quotes 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6. Or produces the growth. God is the one who does it in us. Many people appear to display naturally, I think this is interesting, many people appear to display naturally to a limited degree some of the characteristics of Galatians 5. Uh, some of uh, the characteristics that Galatians 5 calls the fruit of the Spirit. But such natural displays are not what the Bible is describing. The Bible is describing the evidence of our changed character, a new nature that God is producing in us through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. So not those natural characteristics that maybe... We, we feel we have a certain strength in or weaknesses in or that we look and we see other people and maybe we feel that they're, you know, strong in this area or weak in this area. Rather, God producing them in us. Let's turn to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. And we'll just look at first verse 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's the opposite. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Walking in the spirit as opposed to walking in the 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 ways of this world. So now let's briefly examine uh, each of the fruits of the Spirit, just an overview, just a survey, a sermon or multiple sermons could be given on each one of these characteristics, each one of these fruits. Mr. Weston recently gave a sermon about joy or talked about joy in that sermon will refer to. So Galatians 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit 
As opposed to, we're not going to spend time on, on the, the, the carnal uh, attributes that are mentioned above. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So first, let's examine love. Love, the definition, uh, or at least one definition, unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another, such as the, a, the fatherly concern of God for mankind or concern for others. In the booklet uh, that we have, John 3.16, Mr. Weston mentions agape love, describing agape love, and that's the word used here, agape. Agape describes the kind of love God has for man, and that it is also the kind of love that we are commanded to show toward God and our neighbor. Agape is outflowing concern for others. It's the unconditional love of God. It's not dependent on our relationship with or how we feel about other people. It is an outflowing love and concern for others. We'll turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Love, the first fruit of the Spirit that we're examining. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to, to feed the poor, so you could bestow all your goods, give everything you have to feed the poor, he says. And though I give my body to be burned, give up everything that we have, but have not love. So that can be done without the outflowing Concern for others. What's the motivation for giving everything you have, giving your body to be burned? Who knows? But it's possible to be done, to be done without that godly love. And if it were to happen, then it profits to be done without love, then it profits me nothing, he says. Uh, continuing the booklet, John 3.16, says, While emotion may accompany some aspects of love, here we see, talking about 1 Corinthians 13, here we see that love is defined by the way we treat others and the way we react to others. Love requires action on the part of the one showing love. Love is not how we feel, but rather how we what we do to serve the other person. Love is never self-centered, Love is an outgoing concern. The result, or, or love, this, this fruit of the Spirit, love, is a result. As I mentioned, we talk about what is that fruit a result of? You know, not us just kind of, you know, drumming that up. We, we know that. Love is a result of obeying the Ten Commandments. It is a result of that. I'm sure there's uh, other factors as well that maybe you can think of. That's fine. Let's turn to 1 John 5, verse 2. 1 John 5 and verse 2. 1 John 5 and verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. 1 John 5, verse 2. When we love God and keep his commandments. 
Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. How do we love? Of course, the, the, the God's law tells us how to love him and how to love our neighbor. Again, result of obeying the Ten Commandments. Okay, so we'll look at uh, joy. You can turn back to Galatians 5 if you'd like. That is the, the next one. Joy. Definition, cheerfulness, calm delight, gladness. All of these are not just on a surface level, though, but very deep level. As I mentioned, Mr. Weston gave a sermon recently and uh, highlighted that this is not just a momentary happiness. You know, uh, thinking about the, the roller coaster. Yeah, it's fun. Oh, that's great. It's not just having a smile on the face all the time. It's something much deeper than that. That we'll highlight a couple items in just a, a minute here. You know, I think about the, the idea of that surface level uh, uh, joy. Uh, someone looks happy. They're happy all the time. They're smiling all the time. And that's good, certainly good. It, it's definitely nice uh, to have people who are up, you know, around versus, you know, like this, Eeyore, you know. I, it reminds me, though, a uh, time several years ago, many, many years ago, that uh, there was an individual, he, this individual was known for this kind of very gregarious and up and, and very happy and always kind of joyful. This individual was in the church. This was not here. It, wasn't, it was very, like I said, many, many years ago. Ultimately, this person ended up committing adultery with someone else leading to divorce. This was not God's spirit at work. Again, that, that human characteristic, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a depth of joy. Joy from the heart is essential to pleasing God, is something that Mr. Weston mentioned. We're not pleasing God when, when we sin. This is something much deeper. Mr. Weston mentioned in the sermon, he showed that it's not just about us having joy in our life, but giving others joy. James said, count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Again, that's not something, you know, we're going to be smiling about and excited about. Yay, another trial. It's how we handle it. It's how we view it. Let's return to Romans 8 and verse 18. It's this type of joy. Romans 8 and verse 18. That helps us through life as God's people. Understanding what that trial is for, to build patience, to build character, understanding why it's critical and important that we go through those various trials. 
Romans 8 and verse 18. And the various sufferings that we have, and, and not our, our life not necessarily being a, a roller coaster of emotions up and down. Again, certainly there are ups and downs. But that, that long-term understanding of what the future holds and what we're here for and what God's plan is and what he's doing with us is underlying that joy, that fruit of the spirit of joy. Romans 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, you can only consider that if, if we understand it. And we do understand what the future holds and what our part is in that. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Joy is a result of living God's way of life and experiencing the ongoing and continued blessings that come from that way of life. It is also, joy is also a result of understanding the hope of the future of the kingdom of God and our part in it. So joy. Next, Galatians 5 again, is peace. Next fruit of the Spirit is peace. To define peace, it's a state of tranquility or quiet. Freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. Harmony in personal relationships. Harmony in personal relationships. Reading from Mr. O'Gwin's article, How Much Fruit Are You Bearing? He writes, This peace is produced by the Holy Spirit. It is not generated by ideal circumstances around us. It is an inner peace and acceptance based on the knowledge that our lives are in God's hands. When we have truly surrendered our lives to him, a peace results regardless of whether we are temporarily up or down. Spiritual peace only comes to a surrendered and thankful heart. Let's turn to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, and we'll read verse 10 to start with. Philippians 4 and verse 10. Again, irregardless of whether life's circumstances are seem good right now, whether they're troubling right now. That peace, that fruit of God's Holy Spirit working in us, allows us to, uh, helps us, you know, as we understand that God is in total control. Philippians 4, we'll start in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that, uh, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard, let's see, 
Yeah, not that I speak in regard for need. I have learned whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased when things are, are down. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And to be steady. And to have the, the peace of God. And we look verse. Let's look at verse six. To be anxious for nothing. Even when the trials are very, very difficult sometimes. And it's difficult to see ahead. It's difficult to understand why things are the way they are. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, this is the peace that we're talking about. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You know, those from the the outside, looking at, at, at someone with God's Holy Spirit, who has put his spirit to use in their lives, they've surrendered to his spirit in their lives, can look and see, can't understand why you're so calm, why you deal with this the way you do. That's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. surpasses human logic. This peace is as a result of knowing the truth and understanding that God is in full control. Romans 8 and verse 28. You can turn there. Romans 8 and verse 28. It's understanding who is in control. It's understanding that God who is in control has only our good in mind. He loves us. He cares for us. He protects us. He's not going to let things happen to us that are, that are bad for, for our eternal life. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Peace is as a result of, again, understanding the truth and understanding that God is in control and that he has our good in mind. Okay. Back to Galatians 5 again. That is long-suffering is the next that we'll review. Long-suffering. The defined long-suffering, patiently enduring, lasting offense or hardship. So it's a little bit different than just patience. Patiently enduring, lasting offense or hardship. It includes being patient with others, bearing with one another in love. It can also include being okay with God's timing in our life. 
God's timing is often different than our timing. And being okay with that. Reading again from the article, How Much Fruit Are You Bearing? The spiritual quality of long-suffering involves the ability to wait on God and should not be confused with apathy or indifference. That's interesting. It's not just that you don't care. Whatever happens, I don't care. No, we'd like to see a certain outcome. And a certain outcome would would probably be what, what God wants at some point in the future. But waiting on God. Because... Uh, He continues uh, in the article because they know that God is real and that what he promises is real. Those who are long suffering are prepared to wait for him. We can turn to Ephesians four. And verse one. Ephesians four and verse one. And we're not going to turn to another passage uh, in, in Romans, but um, talking about, you know, it mentions that God will take vengeance on a situation. God will take care of situations as he sees fit. It's not our place to do so. Verse 1 of Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, <laughs> Paul in prison, writing this, and we talk about long-suffering, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Why? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So this long-suffering... Again, is it involves waiting on God, waiting on God to take to take care of the situation, patiently enduring lasting offense or hardship and waiting on God. Long suffering is in part a result of trusting that God is in control. A lot of this goes back to that trusting that God is in control. And surrendering to him to his ways, allowing God to work in us through his Holy Spirit and allow his Holy Spirit to bear this fruit in us. Long-suffering, again, is in part a result of trusting that God is in control and that his plan, he times his plan with perfect timing. It comes from having the perspective, that long the long-suffering that he has toward us. We think how perfect. I, I remember years ago a situation where I, I had an employee and I had anyway. It was in a it was in a, a building uptown that we had to do a job at night, and the building owner uh, had another contractor that they normally use, and didn't want us there. That's what it came down to. They did not want our company in there. Somehow we got the contract, and, and uh, but they did not want us in there. Uh, 
And so I had one of my employees, he was a young fellow, and he, he left the ceiling tile out. Uh, like left, you know, in the morning, the building engineer finds a ceiling tile out in the building. Oh, you know, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, I won't do it again. Okay, well, guess what? I, I talked to him. The next night, left the ceiling tile out again. Building engineer calls me again, second time. He already didn't like us. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talked to the kid again. How, how could you forget this, you know? Third night, left the ceiling tile out again. Man, by this time, I'm like, I, my mind can't wrap around how this could happen. And I say, I, I, I ended up having to realize, you know, he, this kid did not mean to do it. Didn't mean to do it. I've, I've told the kids, you have to mean not to. <laughs> but didn't mean to do it. And I had, I had to realize, how does God deal with us? It's plain and simple. It's right here. It's written. We've read it over and over and over and over again. We have no excuse. God doesn't crush us. He's long-suffering with us. And that long-suffering is a fruit of His Spirit. And again, that long-suffering fruit in us is a result of understanding the perspective of how God deals with us and having that, that perspective that, that knowing that he deals in long-suffering with us. Okay, so long-suffering. Uh, now we'll examine kindness. Kindness. And you're welcome to go back to Galatians 5 every time if you'd like. Kindness. Definition, being friendly, gener generous, and considerate. But actually, this kindness is not just being nice to others. I'll read from Expositor's Bible Commentary. It says, kindness is an active, busy virtue. Stooping to the lowest need, thinking nothing too small in which to help, ready to give back blessing for cursing and benefit for harm and wrong. It's really living by the principle that, that Christ helped articulate, or articulated in particular, and that is to treat others the way that we want to be treated. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15. This idea of kindness. Again, an, an active kindness. As the Expositor's Bible Commentary mentioned. Deuteronomy 15. And the, the next fruit that we'll look at, goodness, uh, we're not looking at it right now, but we'll, we'll examine it in just a second. But these two are, are related in a certain way. This one is in a more personal way. Kind of more one-on-one -on -one kindness. Where, where 
we'll examine some of the differences with goodness in just a minute, but they're very much related. Deuteronomy 15 of verse 7. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren with any, uh, within any of your gates in the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him. You know, on a, on a one-on-one basis, and, you know, there, uh, we're not going to get into to all the details about, you know, when to, to give someone money on a personal basis and all that type of thing. But there's a principle here, and, you know, it's not something that, you know, somebody's constantly taking advantage of you. That's not, that's not what this is talking about here. It's talking about a, an attitude in dealing with others who are in a, a difficult and needy situation. Verse 8, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend to him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. What that person is going to do with it, I think about the person on the side of the street. I know there's different ideas about whether or not to give that person money on the side of the street. You know, again, maybe it comes down to how often do you give it, how, you know, all those factors. We're not talking about that right now. We're just talking about an attitude of here's somebody, whatever their situation is. You know what? I, I don't need to determine whether or not they deserve this dollar, two dollars, or five dollars, whatever it is. Be let, beware, verse 9, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, you know, in the seventh year, he's going to get away with not paying me back, is the idea here, because of the year of release. Verse 10, you shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all the works in all your works, in all that which you put your hand. Verse 11, for the poor will never cease from the, from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother and to the poor and your needy in the land. An attitude of outgoing kindness and helping the other person. Do they deserve it? Who deserves it? <laughs> Who deserves it? That's, that's not what this is about. This is about that attitude of kindness toward another. This kindness is as a result, is a result of going to and relying on God for our needs on a regular basis, which is what we do. And knowing that we need his mercy and we need his compassion and we need his kindness. Because boy, thankfully, he is full of kindness. That is, in fact, a fruit of his spirit. The same spirit that we see in Deuteronomy 15, that, that he wants us. He wants us to have that fruit. Okay, that's kindness. We'll examine goodness now. Again, I mentioned there's there's a, really a connection between these two. Goodness. The definition in this case, benefic- beneficence, or doing good, or good acts, or active goodness, or charity. 
Again, similar in many ways to kindness, but also includes more of an emphasis on generosity. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says this, Linked with kindness comes goodness. They are very similar, differing from it only as twin sisters may. Each fairer for the beauty of the other. It says goodness is perhaps more affluent, more bountiful, while kindness is more delicate and discriminating. Goodness looks to the benefit as the large, as large and as full as possible. While kindness has respect for the recipients and studies to suit their necessity. Kindness makes its opportunities and seeks out the most needy and miserable. Goodness throws its doors open to all comers. Goodness is the more masculine and large-hearted form of charity. If it errs, it errs through blundering, um, uh, through blundering and want of tact in how it's done. Kindness is the more feminine and may err through exclusiveness and narrowness of view. United, they are perfect. I really appreciated the way that the Expositor's Bible Commentary mentions that. Goodness is as a result of having the heart and mind of God that allows us to think beyond ourselves to all of our fellow human beings. It is it's more big picture. Jesus fed the thousands because he had compassion on them, it said. He healed in a, a relatively wide scale overall during his ministry. Think about what he said about Jerusalem. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. That outflowing compassion for Jerusalem and really the world. God lets it, the sun shine on the just and on the unjust. He lets it rain on the just and on the unjust. Goodness, you know, again, larger picture than, than just that, that one-on-one helping. You know, we're not going to fix the world's problems. It's been mentioned before, if we, we put everything the church has into to India, it'd be gone in a, you know, a week or whatever. One thing we can do, one thing that can be driven by goodness is preaching the gospel to the world, which is the one solution that will fix this world. Again, goodness is a result of seeing the world through the bigger picture of God's, of the eyes of God, and the understanding that this world is held captive by Satan the devil, and that we will be able to help fix this world in the coming kingdom of God. Okay, faithfulness. Faithfulness. This certainly can include faith toward God, as well as the faith of Jesus Christ. 
many commentaries indicate that it's really, it's not necessarily that. And, I, and so I'm not saying that it's definitely not that faith in God or faith toward God and faith of Jesus Christ. Rather, in the context of the other characteristics, the other fruits, it appears that it's about uh, more about faithfulness to others and being reliable, which includes loyalty, faithfulness in our word, faithfulness in our duty. Adam Clark commentary says, here used for fidelity, punctuality in performing promises, conscientious, careful, uh, carefulness in preserving what is committed to our trust, in restoring it to its proper owner, in transacting the business confided to us in a faithful way neither betraying the secret of our friend nor disappointing the confidence of our employer. Faithfulness is a result, really, of following through with God's way of life. It is letting our yes be yes and our no be no. It's being trustworthy. Faithfulness, again, a result of following through with God's way of life. Okay, so faithfulness. Now we'll examine gentleness. Gentleness or, or meekness. Meekness is about being teachable. Humility. One commentary says gentleness is the kind of spirit that does not demand its proper respect. Another commentary, meekness consists in habitual submission to the dealings of God, arising from a sense of his greatness and man's own littleness and sin. Really a a perspective of, of who we are, where we stand before God, that God is all power and all wisdom and all understanding, and that we need him and we need his Understanding and wisdom and power and strength to overcome, to grow. Gentleness and meekness is a result of understanding who we are in the big picture. Okay. And self-control. Self-control, the last one. To define that, uh, restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. One commentary mentions it implies not only abstinence from injurious drinks or food, but control of the temper, control of the tongue, the desires, the passion for money, the passion for power. This self-control, control over the self. Again, only through the power of God's Holy Spirit. This being not, not, you know, really watching a, a YouTube video and, and saying, oh, you know, this person has, you know, they're kind of showing me how to have self-control. All that's good. But this self-control comes through 
God's Holy Spirit. It is a fruit of God's Holy Spirit. It helps in a way that we can't do on our own human strength. We can't meet the need here on our own human strength. This comes from God's Holy Spirit. Adam Clark's commentary says, uh, uh, Continence, self-government, or moderation, principally with regard to sensual or animal appetites, moderation in eating, drinking, sleeping, whatever it is. Self-mastery. True self-control is a result of having put to death our old man and living by and walking by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and not the flesh. It comes from allowing Jesus Christ to live in us through the Holy Spirit. Why don't we turn to Romans 6 and verse 4. Romans 6 and verse 4. Again, putting off the old man, allowing Jesus Christ to live in us. Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. The body of sin might be done away. We should no longer be slaves of sin. Again, slave of sin, the idea that that sin is uh, freeing or or, or not obeying God's law is is freeing and that by having to obey it, it's, uh, you know, it's like a a prison and you're a slave to it. No, no, no. You try to stop sinning. We all know this. You try to stop sinning. And you quickly find out you are a slave to sin. (laughs) It is hard. To be free is actually that self-control that comes through God's Holy Spirit to overcome sin. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members an instrument of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Become instruments of righteousness in obedience to God and letting Jesus Christ live his life in us. So again, true self-control is as a result of having put to death our old man and allowing Jesus Christ to live in us. And the fruit of that is self-control. I'll read uh, in closing from the article again, How Much Fruit Are You Bearing? When we examine the fruit that our lives are bearing, we must recognize God's part in the process. We cannot manufacture spiritual fruit, nor can we make it grow, mature, or ripen 
by our own strength of will. We must, however, understand how much God delights in seeing an abundant, uh, seeing abundant fruit in our lives. He takes great pleasure in seeing healthy spiritual fruit come to maturity in our life. So we've briefly examined each of the nine fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we approach the day of Pentecost and are meditating on the impact of God's Holy Spirit in our life, let's ask for God in his mercy to bear more fruit in our lives.